I invite you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 12 and beginning at verse 12. As you're finding it, I was reminded as I was preparing for the sermon and studying, I've been studying 1 Corinthians 12 for a couple of weeks now, and I was remembering when I first came to be your pastor uh, back in 2009, um, my first order of business was to think of a church slogan, because everybody knows that's the most important thing for a healthy church. Some of you remember I, I came from like a sales, PR, marketing background, and that's just what my mind thought was important at the time. What are we going to put on a church t-shirt if we don't have a slogan? And so I, I was combing the Bible for everything it said about the church and trying to just see afresh what the church is supposed to be, what should Doolin's Grove be. And I was drawn to this passage, and I had forgotten about it until this time studying it again for these sermons. And I remember the slogan I came up with was, Doolin's Grove Church, the body of Christ, united and working. And that's why we blew up to be such a mega church right off the bat. It was because of that slogan. Now, I remembered as I was studying, what does the Bible specifically say about the church? I remember back then being struck by how important it was that we were united. And this image of the body of Christ united uh, is a very central idea of what it means to be a healthy church. Unity. Now, as I've been studying it again for these sermons... I've been really kind of surprised as I look fresh eyes at this passage, how important diversity is to be in the church and how they're both essential. Unity and diversity are essential to us being the church together. So that's really what today's sermon is about. You know, if you um, give a kid a kite and not a string, the kid's not going to have much fun with it. If you give a kid a string but not a kite, the kid's not going to have much fun with it. But if you give a kid a kite and a string together, it works. That's sort of the way diversity and unity are presented in this passage. If you only have unity but no diversity, the church just doesn't quite work the way God designed it to. And if you only have diversity and no unity, the church doesn't quite work the way God designed it to. So unity and diversity are both essential in the church so that we can care for one another. That's the conclusion that I come to through the course of the passage. So we'll work our way through it. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26 will be our focus today. As we study it, I hope that we'll come to understand God a little better. Uh, We'll come to understand the church a little bit better. We'll come to understand our role as individuals in the church a little better. And through that process, I think we'll come to understand our identity as individuals and as a church a little better. But before we begin reading it, I'd really like us to pray for God's help. Would you pray with me? Father, please speak to us clearly through your word. And please use me as your servant to serve your people, your word, And help me to serve well. Enable us to receive your word in such a way that it transforms our thinking and our feeling and our our being. May we be your church. Or bring about whatever desired effects you choose through your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So before this passage goes on to talk about unity and diversity in the church, verses 12 and 13 tell us how we come to be united in the first place. So we'll start there as well. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, Paul's language can get a little pretzeled around itself, but basically what he's saying is the body is one yet many-membered, and the members of the body are many yet one-bodied. That's the way it is with our physical bodies, and that's the way it is with Christ. And then he goes on to explain how this comes to be. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Here he continues this theme of one spirit uniting us from the passage we looked at last week. If you remember last week, we looked at spiritual gifts and we saw that in that pretty famous passage about spiritual gifts that really what he's talking about is the fact that all our ability to be the church comes from the one same shared Holy Spirit. And therefore, we're united in the Spirit. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. Throughout the course of 1 Corinthians, we've seen that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the mind of God to us. A little bit later in the passage about the Lord's, I mean, about uh, sexual sin, we saw that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals God's mind to us and he dwells in us. And then in the passages about spiritual gifts, we saw that the Holy Spirit manifests himself through us with our spiritual gifts and the way we're active and serve in the church. We also saw in that same passage that it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to be the church and serve as the church. And the big idea over all of that is that it's the same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit in you is the same Holy Spirit in me, is the same Holy Spirit in the Christian down the road, is the same Holy Spirit in Billy Graham, is the same Holy Spirit in Paul the Apostle as he wrote. The same Spirit gives us everything we need to be the church. And therefore, we're united as one body. So whether you are Jewish or Greek, it's the same Holy Spirit that reveals to you the mind of God. Whether you are slave or free, it's the same Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Whether your spiritual gift is uh, utterances of wisdom or whether your spiritual gift is uh, extreme faith, it is the same Holy Spirit manifesting himself through those gifts. Whether you are a white, middle-class woman in line at Costco as a Christian, or you are an impoverished uh, African-American elderly gentleman in line at Crisis Assistance Ministry as a Christian, it is the same Holy Spirit in you. And therefore, no matter how different we are, we are united. The same Spirit. Now, this has a lot of implications, and that's what the rest of the passage is in reference to. So let's look at the first one, 
which is simply that this means if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, you are part of the body of Christ. You, with all of your uniqueness, your unique background, your unique social um, status, your unique personality, your unique giftedness, you are an essential part of the body of Christ. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Often our world gives us the impression that we would be more useful if we were more like someone else. But God's word tells us in the church, you are more useful the more you become like yourself. God is after unity in the church, not uniformity. And there's a difference between the two. He goes on in verses 17 and 19, or 17 through 19. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now just try to imagine for a minute a person who was only eyeballs. I just try to picture that. What a grotesque, freakish image. Just a, a ball of eyeballs, and you would roll them into church, and it would be excruciating for them, because it's just eyeballs, not even eyelids. It doesn't work. Imagine a human being that's only ears. Imagine... A church that is only Jews. Imagine if God said, okay, the new covenant is just all only going to be the Jewish people. And the Gentiles are just tough. Imagine a church that's only Americans. If God said, all right, all you third world countries, y'all don't get it. America's got Joel Osteen. America's got all the great ones. So therefore they have the faith. Imagine just only an American church. All polo shirts, that's it. Imagine a church only of the very lowest class. No middle class, no wealthy people. A church only of the impoverished. Imagine a church of only people with the spiritual gift of an utterance of knowledge. So the only spiritual gift and service and activity in the church is just knowledge, teaching, writing. Basically, it's, a, it's, an, it's an academy. It's a, basically, it's a university. No gifts of compassion or service, just knowledgeable people, and that's the whole church. So what Paul is saying is that's just as freakish of an idea as a human being that's just eyeballs, is a church that's just made up of one kind of member, Now, 
Imagine a church that's only made up of people with the spiritual giftedness of deep, extreme faith. I mean, basically, it would just be one long, constant prayer meeting. Now, prayer meetings are good and faith is good, just like knowledge is good and teaching is good, but not if that's it. God didn't design the church to be one blob of one same uniform thing. Imagine a church that was just the spiritual gift of healing. And you basically just be a Christian hospital, and that was, that was it. No teaching, no service to the downtrodden other than physical healing. So you get the idea. Just like you, you are, are not capable of much if you are only one body part, if you are just a big hand just laying in your pew. If that was all you were physically, you wouldn't really be capable of much. And in the same way, you wouldn't be capable of much if you, if you did have all the body parts, but they weren't connected. If you were a hand over here and a leg over there and an eyeball over there and an ear up on the top of the church, you aren't good unless you're both diverse and united. And it's the same way with the body of Christ. We need the diversity and we need the unity in order to be the body of Christ. I know these are some weird images. Are y'all hanging with me so far? Okay. You're going to have nightmares. This means that since unity and diversity are both essential to being the church together, that none of us can say, I just don't belong to the church because I'm not like such and such. And I just, I'm not gifted like such and such. I don't have the personality of such and such. I just really, I'll attend, but I don't have much to offer beyond that. I just don't belong. You can't say that. We need you in your unique unis. It also means that you can't look at anybody else and say, we don't need them as part of our church. They're not like us. They don't dress like us, think like us, talk like us. So they're expendable. No, we need us and them united together in the full diversity. So that leads to the second implication. The first one is that you are a part of the church. The second one is that they are a part of the church. By they, I just mean those different than you, those different than me. Look at verses 20 through 21. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So we have a a tendency to ostracize those who are different than us. We have a tendency to look at them as expendable, to gravitate toward those who are just like us, to gravitate away from those who are different from us. And Paul is saying, no, it doesn't work in the body of Christ. We tend to segregate as the church. Now, I don't mean Doolin's Grove. I mean all the whole church. We tend to segregate. We tend to clump in meetings of our same ethnicity. And then even within those clumps of meetings within our same ethnicity, we tend to clump into meeting with those of the exact same socioeconomic level as ourselves. And we tend to uh, even clump further into um, age segmentation. I think it's valuable what we're doing with kids being ministered to in age-appropriate ways. But we need those kids. We need the elderly people, 
the children in every generation between to be mixed together, mostly. We tend to segregate along gender lines and to men's and women's ministries. And again, I see the value of ministering to men in ways appropriate uniquely to men and women vice versa. But the men and the women need each other's perspectives. We need to be together to be the church. We even tend to segregate just by preferences. Well, I'll go to the early service because they play quieter music. I'll go to the later service because they play louder music. What Paul is saying here is beware our tendency to separate and segregate and divide because the body of Christ works best when we're diverse yet united. Why is this so? Wait, I skipped ahead one point. We need people who are different than us in the church, and we especially need people who seem to be weaker than us in the church. Look at verses 21 through 24. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. See, God so composed the church to mix people of all different varieties together, including mixtures that mean that some of us are at least at times weaker than others in in certain ways and seem to be less presentable, seem to have our lives less together seem to be more needy. So not only is it essential that a church be mixed up of people with all different spiritual gifts, and even, I believe, of different ethnic, socioeconomic backgrounds, but even in terms of spiritual maturity and life circumstance and relative strength and weakness, it's essential that we be mixed together. Why? Paul goes on, the next half of verse 24 God has so composed, and that word composed means mixing disparate elements together into something better than their separate pieces. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that it lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Unity and diversity in the church are essential so that we can care for one another. It says, God composed the body of Christ this way, that there may be no division. This is um, an interesting paradox. But the more we insist on uniformity, the more likely we are to divide. Division comes when we insist on uniformity, when we insist that everybody be the same, think the same, operate the same then we actually end up dividing. God so mixed the church up like this so that we would not be divided. But instead, the alternative to dividing is that we might care for one another. Division is healed when we, instead of insisting on uniformity, we insist on caring for one another. It's easy to care for people who are the exact same as you. Have you noticed that? It's very easy to care for people that are just like you. It's easy to have them over for a meal 
it's easy to get into a difficult conversation with them to see how are they really doing. That doesn't require the Holy Spirit. Everybody does that. You don't need anything supernatural to chum around with people just like you. Everybody does that. The church is something different. The church is supernatural. It's easy to care for those who are the same as you. It's Christ-like to care for those who are different than you. Reminds me of Philippians 2, 1 through 8, and I'll read it to you. Remember how God loved us through Christ? Here, Paul's writing again, appealing for unity, and he says in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here, our great example of love as the church is God himself, not insisting you shape up and be like me, but instead becoming like us in order to love us. And that is the love DNA that we share as Christians in the church with the Holy Spirit. And so loving people who are different than us, especially those who are difficult to love, who seem weaker or who seem less honorable or who seem less presentable, is essential to being the church together. God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I want you to think about Christians you know and the ones that you find the most frustrating. It is probably true that you are here and they are here so that you two who are so different and perhaps frustrate each other so much would care for one another. Because in that kind of love, Jesus Christ is glorified. And the world looks at the church and says, they clearly are disciples of Jesus Christ. Remember how Jesus said people would know we are his? Not even by our clean living, but how we love one another. How Jews and Greeks could love one another. How slaves and free people could love one another. How people who were um, gifted with speaking in tongues could love people who were gifted with prophecy. How people who had this type of way of going about acting and serving in the church could love people who had a, a different way of loving and serving in the church. Unity and diversity 
are essential in the church so we can really love and care for one another in a way that exemplifies and requires the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Unity and diversity are essential in the church so that we can care for one another. You are a part of the church. Just you, as you are, who you are, are an important part of the church. And so a simple application of that fact is just enjoy that. Live like that. Be a part of the church. Come, be, come pray with us on Sunday mornings. Come sit around the, the table, listen to the word together in Sunday school. Come break bread together during our weekly breakfast fellowship and, and connect with people. Stay after the service and really talk to people and see people because those people need you. Get a part of a house-to-house group. That's where you really start to intertwine your lives. Because those people need you, you, and your unique gifts, what you bring to the table as a part of the body of Christ. Unity and diversity are essential to the church so we can care for one another. That also means that they are an important part of the church. Those people who are Christians, who have the Holy Spirit, but are just so different from us that we find them scary or frustrating. We need each other in fellowship, including those people that we're less comfortable with. I don't know what the Lord has planned for Doolin's Grove Church, but I hope that it includes an ever-increasing diversity among us of different types of people. Because if, if Charlotte continues to spread and envelop our meeting place and our homes, and we get no more diverse, I think that is a really bad sign that the gospel has somewhere short-circuited in our hearts. It means somewhere along the way we're only evangelizing one particular type of person. And I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope we become more and more diverse. And that'll probably bring all kinds of complication. But we'll work through it and we'll care for one another and we'll love one another. And through the struggle and the love for one another, God will be glorified and the gospel will be exhibited. Unity and diversity are essential in the church so we can care for one another. And that likely means that the Christians that we find most difficult to get along with are probably the ones that we need to care for the most. You know, there, some of you probably find me very difficult. You know, we're, we're all so different that this should just be expected, that we'll find each other difficult. And it reminds me, and I'll land on this, in just a, a few verses, we're going to get to one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love and gives a beautiful definition of love. I just want to point out something I've pointed out to you before. Embedded in this beautiful description of love is the assumption that the person you're loving will, at least sometimes, if not most of the time, be a big pain. Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. So there already we get the idea that if we're really loving people, we're going to have to be patient with them. They're not going to be perfect when we need them to be perfect. And there already we see that loving people is going to mean being open-handed with our way. 
and not insisting on our own way, that there'll be other ways being impressed upon us sometimes. It is not irritable or resentful. So there is the assumption there will be irritants involved in this loving church. And there will be wrongs involved. Why else would you resent someone if not wronged? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. So this kind of love in the church will be a tough, strong love that can withstand unloveliness in each other. Love bears all things, believes all things. It gives the benefit of the doubt to doubtful people. It hopes all things, perhaps in even seemingly hopeless people, hopeless situations. This kind of love hopes, endures all things. It will require endurance. This kind of rich, full, tough love is what the gospel brings about in us as we grow healthy as Christians and as a church. So may the Lord bless us with unity. May we be united always, but not because of uniformity, not because we're all the same and think the same and are the same and come from the same backgrounds. May we be increasingly richly diverse, yet united in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, but thank you beyond that and beneath that for the gospel of Jesus Christ that you came. You did not insist that we become like you, but you became like us and came and were gracious to us and saved us and brought us along to you. Thank you that you have loved us like this with patience and endurance. Thank you for bearing with us. Lord, help us to just fully receive this love from you and be overflowing with it to the people around us. Those in our church now, uh, those in our communities and around us that you would have us love that are different from us. Lord, please transform us into that kind of church, these kinds of Christians. And may we be the body of Christ, united and working and full of a beautiful, beautiful diversity. In Jesus' name, amen.